Man, after that song, it's just like, let's call it a day and go home, you know? <laughs> Praise God on that. Guys, thank you for coming to worship today. Christ is on the throne, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. So go ahead and have a seat. And uh, I want to share with you. I want to share with you some words today from 1 John chapter 4, all right? Here we go. I'm picking up at verse 7, if you like to follow along with this kind of thing. Again, 1 John 4, starting at verse 7. We've got about a 15-verse run ahead of us here. Let me take you through it. Here we go. Beloved. If you're reading NIV, it says, dear friends. But let me assure you that the underlying word is beloved. Beloved. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, I know it says, dear friends, I ask you to extend trust that the underlying word being translated is beloved. Beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and his sister. Now, my experience is that most people, especially most people who don't come to church, but certainly including most people like you who do come to church are afraid of God. And I think that most people are afraid of God because deep down somewhere in their soul, they believe that God is stern. 
The reasons for this, I don't know. Maybe growing up, you've had angry or stern parents. Their natural disposition was just to be somewhat cold or austere or harsh. It doesn't mean they never laughed. It doesn't mean they never hugged, though that may be the case. But generally speaking, for a lot of people, the family in which they grew up sets the tone for how they think about God. For others of you, it may have taken a different form. You marry someone who claims to be Christian, but they in fact prove to be a nagging, never-pleased spouse. And so you see a person who claims to know God, who claims to represent God, who claims to be walking with God, and you see their disposition, and so you kind of make what I think is a natural logical conclusion, right? God must be like that too. For others, they may have come to that conclusion because they were brought up going to church, and the church that they happened to go to was a strict, harsh, joyless kind of church. A church where the highest good expressed in statuary and stained glass windows to which we are to aspire to can be represented in a face that looks like this. You've seen the statues, you've seen the windows. But it's not just those kinds of churches because even if it was a windowless, statueless church, the average expression of everyone who sat in the pews was also like this. The average expression of the minister was something like this. You know what I mean, right? And they would dress in stiff clothes, buttoned tight up to the neck. They would sit ramrod straight. They would say on Easter, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so for some of us, having come to be introduced to God through such a place and community, well, it's as natural as can be that we would assume God is the same. Would you agree? Maybe you grew up with adults who were just generally Thankless, praiseless people. Not parents, but maybe teachers. Maybe whatever your community background happened to be. Not people who loved being around you, who delighted in you, who praised you, but you were someone to be seen and not heard. And the only time the adult would intervene in your life would be to reprimand, scold, or correct. And so we grow up thinking people of authority are like that, so God must be too. Or maybe you've just bought into the Puritan myth too much. Been fed stories of what the Puritans were like who came over from Plymouth looking at their black hats and joyless lives, so we're told, and never having really researched it for ourselves, just assume that the pinnacle of Christianity in a Bible-believing form is something like that. Look, I don't know. That's not the point. The point is, I think a lot of people fear God. Because for whatever reason, at some level, we tend to think God is stern. And what I find is that we tend to project onto God 
our dispositions, our backgrounds, and our upbringings. So that which we have become familiar in life, we just go, God must be like that too. And of course, it affects our relationship with him. Let me give some examples. Some people I find are afraid to pray. Maybe you're afraid to pray. And what I don't mean is you're afraid to kind of parrot the words that someone puts in a hymnal or puts on a screen, but when it means actually coming to God with what you want, you're afraid to ask him. You're afraid to ask him because you think that God is actually out to mess with you a little bit. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been afraid to pray for patience? Would you dare ever pray for patience? If I was to ask you right now to pray to God sincerely, Lord, teach me and give me patience today, would you actually do it without reservation? And my bet is that for 90% of you, the answer is no. And the reason why is because you have convinced in your mind how God is going to give you patience. He is going to mess with your life. He is going to put every slow driver in front of you, disrupt every easy plan. He is going to orchestrate life around you to be such a mess. You wanted it. Well, you're going to get it. And that's how we think of God, isn't it? And so we're afraid to pray to him. And it's one example among 20. I think for a lot of us, we're afraid to draw near to God, you know, to be close to him, to have a relationship with him. We believe in God, but we believe in God the way that we believe in the president. He exists, but he is better somewhere over there and me not on his grid. Or maybe the way that you think about law enforcement, right? I know that they exist and I'm glad they're there at some level, but I don't really want them watching me or involved in my life. And we think about God that way. And so we're afraid to draw near to God because what we think is that some way, if we get close to God, he is going to notice us and now we're on his radar. Do you want to be on God's radar? What would that mean to be on God's radar for him to notice and to see the very nature of who you are and all the things that you kind of keep doing even though you know ain't quite right? You with me? And so we approach God with a better to ask for forgiveness than permission mentality because it is better to leave God somewhat at arm's length than to risk drawing near to him. Because why? We believe that God is stern. I think many of us are afraid to surrender to God to bow our knee before him when our desires clash with his Because even though we tell ourselves that what God is calling us to is better, we really don't believe it. Oh, we think it might be better in an objective sense, but we don't translate that into being happier, healthier, more whole and full and joy-filled No, we see it as pure submission for submission's sake, going, well, I just have to do it because God is 
stern. We do this in dozens of different ways. And what we do is, again, put God, I believe, at a certain point of distance, at a certain level of arm's length, because we fear that God is stern. But John has something different to say. God is not stern. God is love. God is a lot of things. And there are a lot of words that can be used to describe the behavior, the personality, the disposition of God. But rarely, if ever in the Bible, will you see a phrase that says, God is this. But John's not afraid to go there. And of all the things that he can say about God, where does he root us? God is not stern. God is love. And so he goes on, and if you are following along, he writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So we're going to love because that's just kind of like what he emanates, right? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Read the last four words with me. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we even loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to atone for our sins. Beloved, since God loves us that way, let's love one another, right? No one's seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Because when you love, you are tapping in to the very heart of of God, the very nature of God, because God is love. I love that parable Jesus tells about prayer, especially to those of you who are afraid to pray, that really says something more than just about prayer, but says something about the nature of who God is. Let me read this to you. Jesus says, suppose one of you had a friend, and he goes to him at midnight And he says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine, not you, has come to me on a journey, but I've got nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. By the way, I think this is how we should answer the phone when we really don't want to talk to someone. Just say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are already in bed. They won't know what you're talking about, but who cares? Then just hang up. (laughs) I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, but because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, any fathers in the house here today? Dads, which of you, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Now, I personally think that would be a really funny thing to do. (laughs) And sometimes I think my son would rather have a snake than a fish. But you're going with it, aren't you? Seriously, dads, if if your son asks for something, 
Are you going to give him something poisonous instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Now again, so much cooler than an egg. I'm with you, right? But you're following me here. If your, dad asks, if your son asks for something that he needs, are you going to give him something harmful to him? Just to mess with him? And listen to the conclusion that Jesus draws. If you then, though you are evil, because dads, you are. You are. If you're human, you're evil. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What does it say about God? God is not harsh. God is not mean. God is not cruel. God is not stern. God is good. God is love. Are you with me? Because I'll tell you, the way that you think about God and what you believe to be true about him will dictate any sense of a relationship that you have with him. I want to share a second parable with you today. This one I think more of you may know well. This comes out of Luke chapter 15. It's part of a trilogy. It's the third part of the trilogy. I'm not giving you the first two parts. We often call it the prodigal son. Let me read it to you. There was a man who had two sons. The youngest one said to his father, Dad, drop dead. I want my money now. Give me the property, give me the inheritance, give my section of the business, give my part of your 401ks. I don't care about you, I just want your stuff. Dad, get out of my life, just give it to me now and we never have to see each other again. That's the point, are you with me? So the dad does it. He divides his property between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him out to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he set out to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the fatted calf. Get the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Slaughter the calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so the father began to celebrate 
with him. The son comes to the father in fear. But what does this parable really tell us? That the father runs to the son. Even a miserable one like that. In love. That's what John wants you to know about God. And John's listeners, you know, the guys and gals to whom this letter was written, they were struggling. They were struggling because they were trying to figure out who is of God and who isn't. How do we know? How do we tell? And John's answer to them is you will know them because those who are of God will manifest his love. And not just a love that's an act of the will. Though certainly love sometimes has to be expressed that way. No, but love that comes, comes from something that's changed inside, from a transformed heart. Because when someone is born again into the nature of God, the very essence and nature of who God is, becomes a part of them and who they are. Fish swim because they're designed to swim. People breathe because they're designed to breathe. And those born of God love because the very essence and nature of what God has hardwired in their soul. And John says, that is how you know because God is love. And with God, you have nothing to fear. Not even on judgment day. When someone mentions the term judgment day, does that, is that like a day you look forward to? It's like, man, that's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to have everything laid bare. I can't wait to be called to account. Rock on, come Lord Jesus. Is that how you think about judgment day? Or does it fill you with fear? a certain sense of dread, or at best maybe apprehension and hesitancy. Why? Because how do you think about God? Do you think about God as someone who is harsh and stern or someone who takes delight in you? I love what John says, and if you missed it earlier, let me put it on the screen again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us. It's how we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out Fear, because when you love God, and more importantly, know that God loves you, all that fear, all that apprehension, all that arm's length approach to the God of heaven starts to evaporate. Make no mistake, God could be a scary guy. He's big, he's strong. But when someone who is big and strong loves you, and fights on your behalf? Doesn't that drive out fear and replace it with boldness and confidence instead? No. 
Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, but the one who knows the love of God in their life. Fear of God. It's no more. And so John says, be like that and show people that. He says, no one's ever seen God, but they've seen you. People make up their opinions about God based on how they view you. Simply by virtue that you're sitting in a chair in this place today, in some capacity. To people who don't know God, you are someone who does. And how you approach God will determine how they do as well. No one has seen God, but if they see God's love manifest in you, and the approach you have to him as a result, well, I'll tell you this, it's the most powerful evangelistic thing that you can ever do. So, he calls his people to love that way, to root themselves in that love and to love that way because when you do, you're starting to get who God is and what life with him is all about. And we're going to land the plane right there today. So we got two more weeks left in John together. First John, I should say, coming to the final words of the last apostle.